There are many saints on the sidelines because they have believed the lie and they have sinned in that sense and they are no longer about God's business because they were discouraged and demoralized through people that Satan used to do so. So how can we be those who would not be caught up in that? Welcome to this Monday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. Greg, today, after a short review, we get back to our study in Nehemiah. Dave, yes, we do. And after that short review, we're going to see from Nehemiah's example how we can resist Satan's schemes. So turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, today's message is one you'll want to share with a friend. Just tell them to visit etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. They'll find today's broadcast as well as a host of other archived broadcasts waiting there for them. Our web address again is simply etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, have you ever been ridiculed? Have you ever been criticized? Have you ever been put down? Have you ever had bad things said about you? I think everyone has had that happen, whether a believer or not. There's The reality is we live in a sinful world, and there are critics out there, and there are those who ridicule and those who put down. Now, we have that saying that we share with kids in our culture, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt. Well, the reality is sticks and stones may break bones, but those bones heal. Sometimes the words that people use sting pretty hard, and they can last pretty hard. And so with that in mind, if you are a believer and you desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to serve him. And if you're about his will, we're going to see that you're going to be attacked, that Satan will try to discourage you, and he will do so through those who are in his domain, those who are his witting or unwitting servants, And they will use, as we will see today, words to discourage us. So with that in mind, how can we keep from being overcome by our enemy's reproach? Well, we're going to begin looking at how to resist Satan's schemes from Nehemiah. Indeed, if you were to read Nehemiah up to chapter 3, you'd think, okay, there's a little bit of trouble in 2, but chapter 3 looks like they got it done, we're good to go. But when we come to chapter 4, and actually 4 through 6, we will realize that there is quite a bit of opposition. And it's in these chapters we will see many different tactics that Satan uses through the enemy to try to discourage God's people from doing God's work. And today we're going to see one of those, which is our enemy's reproach. Now, we have been looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is based around the third return of the Jews from exile, and that third return consists of Nehemiah. There was the initial return, which were those to come when Cyrus proclaimed that, and they left in 539 B.C. to rebuild the temple. And after some difficulty and some things, years later, 16 years I think it was, a little more, they got the temple done. But we see that the walls and the city was in shambles. And so sometime later, 58 years later, Ezra comes and is going to institute God's law with God's people, but also begin to rebuild. 
But there were some difficulties. The bad guys caused the Persian emperor to cause a stop work, and they were discouraged. Now, Nehemiah, as we saw in chapter 1, found out about the condition of these Jews, that they were experiencing reproach, and it was a great evil in that context. And he was mourning over it, chapter 1, and it brought him to his knees for four months to pray for these Jews. And within that time, it became apparent that he was the one God would use to come help build the walls and put up the gates, as we see which was a great reproach upon those Jews because of the condition of the city. Now, Nehemiah prayed, and we see his prayer. He prayed for four months, but we see his prayer in the end of this time in chapter 1, where Nehemiah reveals and understands that God is a great God, and nothing is too hard for him. Nothing's too hard for him, and he understands that. And he acknowledges his greatness and superiority over the situation, and he persists in prayer. And also he intercedes for God's people. He then reveals their culpability and why they got to that circumstance and confess sin for the people of Israel and himself. We see that. And then he reminded the Lord of his promises from his word and then made his specific request. You see, he was the cupbearer of the king in a very high position. And he made a request to the Lord that God would show favor upon him in his conversation with the king, obviously in relationship to asking to go and help these Jews. Now we saw in chapter 2 that he did go before the king, that Nehemiah is a man who walks with the Lord. And when the opportunity came, he prayed and he answered the king and asked that he might go. And the king gave him his request, but he asked very wisely And he also asked for letters that he might make it through the territories from the different provinces. And he asked for approval to get wood from the king's forest, from Asaph, the keeper, a letter for him. And so Nehemiah was granted these things because the good hand of his God was upon him. And so we saw that Nehemiah was then on the way to Jerusalem. But there were those who heard about it, Sanballat and Tobiah, and it was a great evil to them. They didn't like it that someone might come to help these Jews. And when Nehemiah got there for three days, he didn't say or tell anybody anything, and then he went out at night and did his secret tour of the walls. He didn't tell the Jews, the nobles, the people who would build the wall, because the word would leak out, right? And he didn't tell the bad guys, the officials either. And after that, he came to those who would rebuild the wall, and he encouraged them, based on the condition that it was in, that they would rebuild together. And he shared how God's good hand had been upon him and words that the king had shared with him. And they got to work. And then we saw last week a summary of all the work that happened. And it showed us Nehemiah's leadership skills and how those who were being led followed him and did exactly what they should do. And they accomplished the task. It's really an overview in chapter 3 of the whole process and who did it and where they worked. And we saw some interesting things. There were those who were from inside the town that built around their houses. There were some that came from outside that helped out. And there were some that were unwilling. And there were some who were zealous to do the work. And that leads us to our passage today, where we're going to see that we should not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Paul will share that to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2. We shouldn't be ignorant. We are not ignorant of those schemes Satan has certain schemes that he uses, and we're going to see that today specifically to try to discourage and stop God's people from doing God's work. 
And if you are doing God's work, if you are obeying him, you are doing it in your family, you're doing it in the body of Christ, Satan is going to try to discourage you. Expect it, as we'll say. And there are many saints, I believe, on the sidelines because they have believed the lie and they have sinned in that sense and they are no longer about God's business because they were discouraged and demoralized through people that Satan used to do so. So how can we be those who would not be caught up in that? Well, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against Satan and his minions, right? And we know that we should stand firm in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6. Well, how do we do that? Well, in Nehemiah, we gain insight into Satan's schemes, and these things were written for our instruction to whom the end of the ages have come. And so we are gaining instruction from this. So how can we keep from being overcome by our enemies' reproach? Because words do hurt. People say things about you. If you say it doesn't hurt, I don't know. Maybe you got a armored heart or something. I don't know. But they hurt. How do we keep from being overcome and overcome from those things? All right, let's take a look at our passage, Nehemiah chapter 4. And again, we're going to be seeing through chapters 4 through 6 multiple tactics that Satan will use. And this is the first one that we're going to look at today. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads, and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So then how can we keep from being overcome by Satan's reproach through his witting or unwitting servants? Notice, we need to recognize that he uses words to try to discourage us. He uses reproach to try to discourage us. Again, verse 1, now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. Do you remember what we learned about Sanballat? And we'll see Tobiah in a minute. We already read about him. Look back in chapter 2, verse 10. This is their introduction And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. They were upset. It was literally a great evil to them that someone came to help. The same word being used of what was happening to the Jews. It was a great evil to them that the walls were down and all those things. And so we see that they have the exact opposite reaction. Now, we know these guys, they were the bad guys, and they were introduced, as I mentioned, in chapter 2. Now, who are these guys? Since we're going to see them again today, let's just review what we learned about them. 
First of all, we have Sanballat, and back in chapter 2, he is called the Horonite. Sanballat in Hebrew means strength. And we're going to see he puts on a pretty strong face. He does. He seems to live up to his name, but in a very wicked way. So now we have that term, Sanballat the Hornite, spoken three times, twice in chapter 2 and once in chapter 13. And as I mentioned, this is the same Sanballat here that is mentioned in chapter 4. Now, there are some names that are similar, as we'll see later on in some of the lists, that you'll see the same name, but it's not the same person. It'll say it's the son of someone else. This is the same Sanballat from chapter 2. What do we know about him? First of all, he is Sanballat the Horonite, and that could mean he is an inhabitant of Beth Horon, an area in Ephraim. But more likely, it means that he is one from Horinam, which is a place in Moab, which would make him a Moabite. And in chapter 13, we know that when Elishib, the high priest's grandson, sinned, and they sinned by intermarrying with one of Sanballat's daughters, that he was involved there. We see that. And it's very clear that Sanballat was a high official holding some type of high office. Some say he might be the governor of Samaria. It's possible, more historically speaking, that his son was actually the governor with the same name as Samaria. But he was a high official. We know that. Now, the Samaritans were a mix of Jews and Assyrians, and they were not considered Jews. And there was actually a lot of hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. And we see that actually with what the Lord shared about the Good Samaritan. We see the hatred from the Jewish side, but there's both. There's on both sides. So then we have Sanballat. He was official. He had a lot of power, as we're going to see. And he was an evil man. He was one of the enemies of the Jews. And he's upset that someone would want to help these Jews. And he's really upset, as we'll see, that they're beginning to rebuild the wall. Really upset. Furious, as we'll see. Now, what about Tobiah, the Ammonite official? Tobiah means Yah. That's a short version for Yahweh. Yahweh is my God. Yah is my God. Sounds like a good guy, right? Yet we're going to see he is an enemy of Nehemiah and the Lord's people, and thus the Lord. He is one who infiltrates the Jews religiously. He's a false brother. Later on in chapter 13, we're going to see that Elishib, the high priest, did evil for Tobiah, and he prepared for him a chamber in the courts of the temple of God. And he had all his stuff there, evidently. But Nehemiah, when he found out, he kicked him out and got all his stuff out of there. So Tobiah is a bad guy, but you might think he's a good guy, but he's a bad guy. Notice he's called Tobiah the Ammonite official. In this statement, I believe this reveals his true affinity. That's why we're being told this. He's an Ammonite, and he's not one that has turned to Yahweh to truly believe. He is an Ammonite official. He's obviously a government. It says literally servant. He's obviously official in terms of his position. He has power. Later on, we're going to see Tobiah writes letters, official letters, back and forth with the nobles. He's got power. And if you'll remember, because of Lot's sin, we have the Ammonites and the Moabites. And to understand the wickedness of these people, you need to understand where their hearts are at towards Israel. We're going to see in Ezekiel chapter 25, God pronounces their judgment because of their attitude towards Israel when Israel was expelled, how they rejoiced over that, how they had an evil attitude thinking Israel would be destroyed. Look at Psalm 83, and this is a psalm where we gain understanding about these peoples and their heart attitudes towards the Jews, and we gain understanding about Tobiah and his attitude and Sanballat and his attitude because they actually hate the Lord. And when people actually internally hate the Lord, they hate God's people no matter what they appear to be. 
Psalm 83, verse 1, a song, a psalm of Asap. O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. O God, do not be still. Kind of a theme going on here about calling out to the Lord with enemies, right? For behold, thine enemies make an uproar. That's the key. They're God's enemies. We're going to see that in our passage. And that's the difference between God's enemies attacking us versus our own personal enemies, as we'll see later on talked about in the New Testament. Thine enemies make an uproar. And those who, what, hate thee have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against thy people. They conspire together against thy treasured ones. And they have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. That's their goal, right? For they have conspired together with one mind against thee. Do they make a covenant? The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gibel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistine, and the inhabitants of Tyre, and Assyria has adjoined with them. They have become the help to the children of Lot. That's the Moabites and the Ammonites. Selah. They hate God, thus they hate God's people. And God tells us about that. So we got these government officials with a lot of power, probably supreme power in that area, Sandal and Tobiah, they're introduced. And they are the enemies of the Jews and those who serve the Lord and Nehemiah. But remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. But yet it comes in the context of flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus even made this clear about how the world would hate us. John 15, if the world hates you, that's the people, that's those in Satan's domain. He is the God of this world, right? If the world hates you, John 15, 18, know that it hated me before it hated you. See, they hate the Lord, and thus they hate his people, like we saw in Psalm 83. Same thing, right? That's what it is. And so then, he says here, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, as I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And we saw in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the apostle Paul praying for protection from those who do not have faith. Yes, our battles against Satan, but there are those who come in the flesh that are his servants. But we don't fight against them. We fight in the context of trusting the Lord and praying and depending on him, as we will see here today. We know he also has false brethren. We know, like Tobias, and we'll see. We know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11. And therefore, it's not surprising, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 11, that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So yes, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it comes out as in flesh and blood. You know, Satan doesn't come down in person and start mocking you. This mocking, as we're going to see, comes through Sanballat and Tobiah. And it's the mocking that discourages and demoralizes the builders. So how are we to respond? Take a look back at our passage. Now, it came about that when Sanballat heard that we, Nehemiah, is working with him, he's not an ivory tower leader, he's there working with him, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. The term furious speaks of being hot, literally hot. You know, we've all experienced anger, he is hot. 
He is hot. He is burning with anger. And the word translated anger is a synonym for that, can be translated vexed or very angry. And then we have a modifying word to become great. He was hot and became very angry or greatly vexed. And notice what he did. And he mocked the Jews. The term mocked means to deride, to scoff, or to mock. We know what that means. We know to ridicule. And folks, in here in chapter 4, as I mentioned, we see one of Satan's tactics to try to discourage God's people. It is being mocked. It is being spoken against. It is being ridiculed. It's being criticized, as we'll see, by those who would name the name of the Lord and those who don't. We're going to see that. And so how do I know that this mockery was designed to demoralize them? Look down in verse 4. Hear, O Gar, God, how are despised. That's through their mockery, right? Return their reproach. You see that? Reproach, right? Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. What we're going to read coming from Sanballat's mouth and Tobiah gets back to the Jews and they become demoralized. That's Satan's tactic to cause us to be demoralized to give up. So then, when Sanballat and Tobiah heard they were building the wall, he became furious and varying and mocked the Jews. And notice how he mocks them. Verse 2, And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from dusty rubble? Even the burned ones? That's the mocking. That's not like a big deal, but it's actually a very big deal, as we're going to see. It's a big deal because this is Satan's tactic. And notice he does it in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. He does it publicly. Now, his brothers could be speaking, some translated his colleagues, could be speaking of his brethren, uh, those of his family or his ancestry. And it says he spoke in the presence of the wealthy men of Samaria. The term wealthy is literally forceful. So some translated, you'll see a little note, army. That, you know, somebody is wealthy because they've, with force in a sense, that's possible translation, but it's probably a better translation that he did it, spoke in front of the army of Samaria. That's more likely. And so then he does it publicly with the bigwigs and the military of Samaria, right? And evidently, these public words get back to the Jews. Remember, Nehemiah was smart. He didn't tell anybody because he knew the word would get around, right? And so here it does get around from Sanballat. Now, what does he say specifically? Notice the first thing he says, and this helps us identify Satan's tactics so that we don't get sidetracked and stop working and doing what God wants us to do. Notice he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? The term feeble means weak. In essence, he's saying, you're weak. You're feeble. You're too feeble to complete the task. You can't do it. Now, this is what Satan does. He always uses a little bit of truth. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, 
etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the Ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, we had a lot of review today. Yes, we did, Dave. So stay with us for our next broadcast, where we're going to dive right into how the Lord would have us respond to the opposition that will inevitably come for serving Him. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.